Hey everyone, welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message for today is from a brand new collection of sermons entitled Church Defined, where we will be focusing in on God's purpose and plan for the local church. It is through the church that the gospel will be shared, disciples will be made, and God's glory will be revealed. We hope that the message inspires and encourages you today. So here's Pastor Paul. Jesus defined the local church. Remember, he defined it as something that is visible, something that is uh, local. It is an assembly uh, of believers. If you remember the definition of it, that Greek word ekklesia, which means a, a gathering of citizens or an assembly, a gathering of citizens that are called out from their homes into some public place. And we have to remember, we don't, we aren't gathered just for the sake of gathering. You know, we're not just here today just because like it's something to do. Uh, it's something I do on the weekend. We are gathered for a very specific purpose. And the purpose is of teaching the word of God, first of all, teaching the word of God and proclaiming the truth of the word of God as well. It is so that we can build up one another in the faith, uh, fulfill the great commission, uh, worship the Lord together corporately. And so all of these things are encompassed in the idea of assembling together and coming together around a common purpose. But in other words, if we just put it simply, a true church, a church that has Christ as the head, a church that is gathering for the purpose of ministering to one another, is a church that is local, it is visible, okay? It's it's something that can be seen, and it is also something that is active in their community. And that is so, so important. Now, last week we talked about the idea and and the, and the, the truth that there are people out there who... Um, who really don't, they're, they're saved individuals, they're Christians, but they don't maybe necessarily belong to a church. They don't maybe necessarily belong to a group of people, a gathered group of people. And we understand them as they're part of the family of God. We know that. We're thankful that they're saved. You are missing out on some very important things. And what important thing are they missing out on? Well, they're missing out on being a part of something that God loves so dearly. Remember, we talked about that last week that God loves the local church. And our big point from last week, the first message in our series, is that we need to love what God loves. And God loves the local church. It is so key that we get this at the very beginning, that the local church is what God loves. It's what he gave himself for. Remember, we talked about that in Ephesians chapter 5, 25, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself in that sacrificial way. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Acts 20, verse 28 this week that talks about, uh, and he's speaking specifically to pastors here, but he says, take heed to yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now that's the big thought right there, is that God loved himself, loved the church so much that he gave himself for it and he purchased it, he paid for it with his shed blood. And, and the truth is this church, Jesus gave himself for City Baptist. Sit on, like, sit on that for a minute. Jesus gave himself for this local visible assembly, even though we're having two services. Uh, he gave himself for us as a church. And that's a powerful truth that we hold on to. It's something that we should not uh, uh, head away from. And what it teaches us is that what we are doing here at 2775 East Hastings is very significant. This is a significant thing that we are doing by gathering together for the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And God gave himself for it. It is extremely important to him. But what is the point of the local church? Like we know this, okay? We know that God loves it. We know that he gave himself for it. But what is the point of the local church? Why would God preserve and sustain his church through persecution, uh, through all sorts of attacks of our enemy? Why would God sustain it? Well, that's the question 
that we're gonna answer this morning as we look at God's purpose for the local church. So we know all about his founding. We know all of that from last week's message. Today, we're gonna ask ourselves the question, what is the purpose then? What is the purpose of the local church and how we can involve ourselves in that purpose? Why don't we go ahead and have a quick word of prayer and we'll get into the bulk of the message today. Lord, thank you for the time that we have together. And Father, this opportunity that we have to learn about your church. Lord, you love the church. You gave yourself for the church. You died and you gave us instruction to continue on this incredible institution that, that is alive and moving forward. And it's for a very specific purpose. And I pray, God, that you would help us today as, as individuals to lock into your greater purpose. Now, I pray that uh, the service will be free from distractions, uh, that we be able to really focus in on what you have for us today. And Lord, I believe these are important, important truths. And we ask that you would just teach us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, you really do not have to study the subject of the local church for very long in the New Testament to understand that there is a recurring theme throughout the pages of the New Testament. Uh, whether it's Jesus talking to his disciples about the church, whether it's uh, all throughout the Gospels, of course, we see that, whether it's Peter writing to them, whether it's Paul uh, writing so many letters to local churches, or even James speaking to the church, all throughout the New Testament. We see God's purpose for his church being revealed. And there's one big overriding purpose that is, is so important for us to understand and connect into, and it is the purpose of the church. And the way that we can define it is point number one this morning. Really, the big purpose of the church is simply to hold up the truth. Number one, to hold up the truth. Now, listen, I mentioned this. I think I've mentioned this probably dozens of times a year in my messages. I'll say, we need to hold up the truth. And the, and the reason I do that is because we need to know that. We need to understand without a shadow of a doubt that the church is to hold up the truth of the word of God. I had you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come to thee shortly. He says, I'm hoping to come soon. But if I tarry long, so if I don't get there right away, here's what he's trying to help him understand. That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, parents love that verse, right? We tell our kids, behave yourself. You know, in the house of God, this is what Jesus says. We'll use that verse. But he's talking to us, okay? Adults that are here today. And he says, I want you to know how to behave, which is, notice, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the, say it with me, the truth. Oh, that was weak. Do it again. The, what? Truth, okay? He says, I want you to know, church, that you are a part of something that the living God is involved in. And not only that, you, church family, us as a church congregation, are to be the pillar and to be the ground of the truth. Now, Paul here is writing to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus at this point. Now, we know from church history, Ephesus was a big deal. Like, it was an important church, uh, certainly to the growth of the gospel. And so now he's stepping in as a young man into this important role, this great leadership role. And he's trying to tell him, he says, listen, I want you to understand the importance of what you're doing here. I want you to understand that you as a young pastor in this church here in Ephesus, the importance of holding up and continuing on the truth. And he uses these terms here, pillar and ground. I want to define these for us. So pillar is stylos, which means a, a prop or to stiffen something up, to strengthen something. And then he says to be the ground, which means a support. They're kind of similar, aren't they? They almost, almost do similar things. But the idea here is understood very, very clearly that the church is to support, is to hold up, is to be a foundation for the truth. What truth, right? What truth is that? Well, the truth is the truth of the word of God and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that uh, that's what the church is to hold up. That is the truth that he's talking about. And so Paul is trying to say to us as a church, City Baptist, he's saying, listen, City Baptist Church needs to be a place 
where the word of God and the truth of God is held up, where it is preserved, where it is protected, and it is a place where people can actually come to find the truth. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity to go to uh, Washington, D.C., and of course, that's the capital there in the U.S., and uh, we went to a bunch of different museums, the Smithsonian's, you know, are all over the place, and that's really cool if you love, uh, what's the movie, um, oh man, what's that movie? With the museum, Night of the Museum, that's right, yeah. Night of the Museum, you know, you think, I think that one is the one in New York, though, I think, if I remember correctly. But uh, anyway, you get the idea. And yeah, I'm walking around like, oh man, I could see the movie coming alive. And um, anyway, one of the things that I lo- really loved, though, come on, help me out here. Uh, the one I really loved was the, <laughs> was the National Archives. This is a picture of it here, the National Archives. And it, there's National Archive buildings all across the United States. Um, but the one in D.C., of course, is pretty important. But man, it was intriguing because you go in there and, and they tell you about all the stuff that is there. And I mean, it's, it's unreal the kind of stuff that they, that they keep there. And they keep it for a purpose. And the purpose is, is to preserve and to hold on to the past so that people can see the truth of how the United States progressed. And so, for example, they have video going back as far as there were video cameras of how crops were grown in different parts of America, different areas of the states, uh, they have videos showing how crops are grown in different eras. So you could go and they'd be like, I wonder how they grew canola in Tennessee in 1918. And they're like, zing, here it is. You know, they pull it out. Here it is. Okay, and you can watch and you can see and you can learn how they would do it. They keep all of these specimens that are there. They have all this information. They have all of these, they have all the records, immigration records. From everyone who legally immigrated in the United States, they keep the immigration records there at the National Archives, which tells you, I'll just let you on a family secret, my great-grandfather, his record's not in there, but he was an American citizen, so very interesting. He came to this country somehow. We don't know. He took it to his grave, uh, but he got into the country, and uh, that's how uh, part of my family immigrated to the United States uh, way back a long time ago. It's a really interesting story, although I don't know the truth of it, actually. But anyway, he's not in there, just so you know. Uh, but... Uh, I thought that was funny. Anyway, it's a true story about my family. Um, but there's all of this, all of this information there and, and the purpose of it. Again, this is the reason uh, that they have it there is so that the, the truth, so that the history, so that the way of life uh, can be shown and preserved and protected so that future generations can go and look back at it and be able to see what happened. Now, The reason I share that with us is because this is a great example of what the local church is to be for the gospel. This is a great example of what the local church is to be for the truth of the word of God, because the church needs to be a place where the truth can be found and where the truth is protected. Now, we live in a world today that is is just, I mean, (laughs) inspired with their own version of the truth, right? This is my truth. Can I speak my truth? You're right? You've heard people say that. Let me just give you my truth right this time. Now, what's so funny about the people who say this is my truth and I'm living my truth is that they don't ever accept anybody else's truth. Have you ever noticed that? This is my truth, but I won't accept that your truth might be different than my truth because my truth supersedes your truth. And, uh, and if there was a different culture or a different time period that had a different truth, we don't accept that truth. We only accept our truth, which is a, just a crazy way to live. But this is what our world is all about, right? You got to discover your truth and connect into your thing. But here, here, here's what I'm trying to get at, is that the local church should be the place where you can actually find truth. And I'm not ta- just talking about our version of the truth, right? This isn't like City Baptist, let me speak City Baptist truth today. This isn't about that at all. It's about the actual truth 
of the word of God. And when I say true, what I mean is the absolute, the unwavering, the consistent, the practical, infallible, inerrant, you've heard all these words before, preserved word of God. And this is what we're holding up. This is what we're proclaiming. And as a church, we are to be the ones who actually uh, have the truth. That's why we are told in 2 Timothy to study, to know the word of God, right? To be a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing and understanding the word of God. And as believers in this local church, we must hold up the truth. And we must hold up the truth that is found in the word of God. And we have got to be, and I'm committed to church, us being a local church that is committed to the word of God above anything else. Of anything else. Uh, I'm going to let you know on a little uh, a, a temptation that I face as a pastor. You guys, uh, you guys know that, you know, we all face different temptations. The Bible says diverse temptations, different, differing temptations. As a pastor, I face ones that you guys maybe don't face. Maybe temptations that are in my life that you wouldn't even think about. You wouldn't even think that is a temptation. You know, like, that's not even a thing. I'll just share a couple of them with you just real quickly. Is that okay? All right, good. Just don't tell anybody. Uh, Cut the live stream. I'm, joking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, uh, one of the things as a pastor that I go through uh, is that I'm often tempted to not preach the truth, to be honest with you. That's a temptation that comes into my life. That when we're studying a passage and we're working through something, and maybe there's a, a hard saying, as Scripture calls it, a hard saying. Or there's a truth that needs to be proclaimed. And the temptation in my life is to just like, let's just pretend like it's not there. Let's just skip over it. Let's just not, let's, or let's make it sound something different than it really is. And there's a lot of people, by the way, who are really good at doing that. Uh, really good at taking scripture and making it say what it's not actually saying. Um, that's a temptation of mine. And, and, and just so you know, that's one thing I struggle with is I'm studying verse by verse through scripture. Another temptation that I have that comes into my life is, is to try to make a text say what I think you need to hear. And so that's a temptation. And maybe I'll be sitting there and I'm thinking about, you know, somebody uh, or, or something going on in the church or a situation. I'm thinking, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pinpoint this towards that person or towards that thing. Maybe some of you, I've had some of you come to me and be like, pastor, do you know what's going on in my life? Because I felt like you were talking to me, you know? And I've had other people get mad at me and be like, I can't believe you would tell the whole church that. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know, what, I don't know what's going on in your life, you know? And you work through it. And I'll tell you what, that's a temptation. I'm just telling you, it's a temptation of mine. And, and you need to pray for me that I don't give in to those temptations, because if I did, that would be a fleshly desire that I'd be living out in my preaching, which would be wrong, okay? And, and I praise God, I haven't done that. Just so you know, I've resisted that temptation. But these are things that are swirling in my head, and the other side of that is to be tempted to be the kind of preacher that only says what I think you want to hear. Not what I think you need to hear, but what I think you want to hear, which whenever that comes up, it's always like, oh, I don't want to make everybody happy. Yeah, I want to make everybody happy. That was my, that's how I think in my head, by the way. That's my inside head voice. I'm kidding, you know, and I'm going to make everybody just feel good. And I'm, oh, it's going to be so great. We're all high five each other and go out, you know, and, and not really change. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because I want you to know those are temptations. And by the way, there's a lot of people who give into those temptations and, and do that with scripture. But as a church, that is to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. I want to tell you that we're committing to not do that, okay? I want to tell you that we need to commit as a group. Not just, this is not just a commitment for me. This is a commitment for all of us to say, we want to be a church that is the pillar and the ground of the truth, that we hold within us the truth itself. This is where the truth is preserved, right here at City Baptist, and we unashamedly will preach the word of God for what it is and say, this is what God says. You know, Scripture tells us uh, that uh, the preacher is to get up and proclaim and to say, thus saith the Lord, and say, this is what God is saying. 
And so we need to be committed to that and being a church where the truth is preserved. We may not have the coolest like sermon series, just so you know. <laughs> it may not be like, you know, five sermons that will fix your relationships forever. You got to come to all five or else, you know, uh, it's not going to be like that at all. <laughs> you just really need one sermon from the Bible on how to fix your relationships. And you'd actually be okay if you do what the Bible says. We know that. Uh, so we may not be like the hippest or anything like that when it comes to uh, sermon stuff and presentation. I'll do my best to be creative. But mainly what we want to do is preach the word of God. That's what it really comes down to is preach the word of God and share it. I was thinking about a second Timothy chapter three. If you want to jump over there, there's an interesting uh, portion of the church in Ephesus that's revealed to us through Paul. And this is what he says. He's talking to Timothy again about the church. He says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. He says, there's going to be some rough times coming. For men shall be lovers of them own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And you read that list and you're like, oh man, we're in the last days. You ever, you ever say that? You read that and you're like, wow, I can see all of this in our culture. It's everywhere. And so he says, be aware of that coming. And then he says in verse number five, having a form of godliness. So he's talking about those people that have all of that stuff going on in their lives. He says they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So what we understand that to be is somebody who maybe looks like a Christian, says Christian things, but they're actually denying or they're not believing in the power behind those things, okay? There's a lot of good people out there, right? I know people in my life that I would say, that is a good person. They are very, they're very, obviously, when, I'm not talking about like, depravity. I'm not talking about like, okay, they are, we're all, we are all without Christ. We are nothing. I'm not saying that, but they're on the outside. They would be a good person. They're kind, they're generous, whatever you would call it, but they do not give God the glory for that. They just, they try to make it about themselves, a humanistic point of view. Like I'm just a good person. I'm so blessed to be a good person. And it becomes a, a prideful thing for them. He, so he says that there are some people, though, that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. So it's not coming from Christ. He says, from such turn away. So people like that, that maybe say, oh, and I would say this, even teachers or people that say, oh yeah, I'm a part of godliness, or I'm a part of God, or not a part of God, sorry. I teach the things of God, but in fact, they truly deny God, which that's really easy to find out, actually. A lot of times there's online guys and they, they preach and you can go and read their doctrinal statement and you discover that, oh, actually, they don't actually believe in the deity of Christ, let's say, or they don't believe certain things. They deny the power. So there's this group of people who need to turn away from them. And then he says this, or of this sort, so the kind that don't have the power, but claim godliness, of this sort are they which creep into houses. You know, like breaking and entering. I'm joking. This is the idea of like getting into somebody's personal space. And, uh, and lead captive silly women laden with sins. Now, all of you women are like, hey, what is he talking about? Now, we don't mean silly like, ha, 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 like silly, like, like, I don't know, like a silly little, you know, girl. It actually means gullible. It means gullible. Okay, I'm going to, by the way, in case you're getting offended, I'm going to straighten this out here in just a minute, okay? <laughs> uh, and, and they are, he leads captive, silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse, though varying lusts. And here's the key, verse seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> okay, so, this is Ephesus, right? This is the church in Ephesus. Timothy's a pastor. This is who he's writing to. 
we know from history and we know from even other scripture that that church had a large amount of widows, had women in their church, um, single moms and others, that apparently, we don't know why, but apparently they were susceptible to following after false teachers. I don't know if they, these false teachers were uh, coming to their homes and kind of having like an expression of like, oh, I'm going to care for you or whatever. I don't know. We don't know what the whole situation was, but it was a danger. It was a danger. And he's telling Timothy, you need to be aware. I, that's why in scripture, there's a lot of verses that talk about the church caring for the widows, right? Caring for the fatherless and being there for them to help them and to guide them and to care for them. That's all very, very important here. But I want you to notice in this verse These women were led away by those that appeared to have godliness, but they actually denied the power of it. And then it says in verse 7 that these people were, and I would say generally these people were just always learning, ever learning, but they never actually came to a knowledge of the truth. So they're always learning these godly things that denied the power of God. They were constantly pursuing them, but they never actually reached and found that knowledge of the truth. And so that was the culmination of what was going on here. And so Paul is telling him, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, look out for that, protect against it. And I think ultimately what he's trying to say here, as we know this is an instruction to a pastor, is that make sure your church isn't the one doing that, right? Make sure your church is not the one that is leading people astray. Make sure your, tr- your church is the one where people can be secure in the truth of the word of God, that the word is being held up. And, and today this still applies. Because I got to tell you, more than ever, there's a lot of religion out there, isn't there? There's religion everywhere. You just got to get on YouTube and you can watch preaching for 24 hours a day, probably for the rest of your life. Just put it on shuffle and you will constantly just be inundated with preaching and preaching and preaching and teaching and all of this stuff over and so much stuff out there. And it's everywhere. It can be consumed. But yet, what do we see? We see our society increasing in its sinfulness and wickedness, right? Even though we have more access to teaching than ever before, we see our society still, our problems still increasing. Wickedness still abound. Christians are still struggling in great ways. And Bible believers are in the minority. So what can we do about that though? If there's this amazing access to all of this godly stuff, at least claim to be godly stuff, what is it that we can do? Well, church, we can be faithful to the truth. That's what it all comes back to again. We can be faithful to it. We can stay motivated to hold up the truth, to be a place where the searching can find answers for their questions, for the wandering believer to come back to God. Recently, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he was telling me uh, how he uh, has somebody who's coming to his church who used to go to church like 20 years ago, and then basically walked away from the Lord and has been out of church for a couple of decades. Well, God got a hold of their heart, and they're starting to get right with him, and we praise God for it. Um, but then they went back to their old church, you know, like the church where they went as a child. And after going there for a few weeks, you know what they realized? They realized that this church no longer preaches the truth anymore. He had returned to it because he thought, okay, this is where I'm going to get back to right with God. But when he got there, the truth, and so he began to search and he found my friend's church. I'm thankful. He said, I'm looking for a place that preaches the Bible and teaches the truth. And I'm thankful that he found him. But do you know what he also said? He said, I've been to churches all around the area. And he said this, he said, I really almost gave up on finding a church that would just preach what the Bible says. And we live in a city where there are churches all over the place, right? But yet, there's not a whole lot of truth that is being proclaimed. And so we need to commit to be a church that is going to uphold the truth, that's going to uphold the truth, and that is going to continue to be that pillar and ground of the truth, especially as we are in those last days. This is so important. 
that we lock it into our hearts. And you individually, this is not a decision for me, like I said. This is for all of us as a group. I have made that decision, by the way. But all of us to make it collectively and say, our church is going to be a pillar and it's going to be a ground to hold up the truth. But secondly, we need to tell others about the truth. So these are the keys here, again, the keys to what it looks like to be a church that is fulfilling the purpose of God. Matthew chapter 28, you know this, but I want you to look at verse number 18. It says, and Jesus came and spake unto them. Get that. Jesus is the one who's saying this. And what did Jesus say? He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Man, praise the Lord that Jesus has the power, right? He didn't say, all right, I'm going to give it to Peter. (laughs) You know, you got all the power, Peter. No, he says, I'm the one because he's everlasting. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all way, even to the end of the world. Amen. I love that. Jesus says, I'm the one who's got the power and I'm going to give that to you. And I want you to go out and I want you to tell others. I want you to tell others about the truth. In Acts chapter eight and verse number four, it says, therefore there were there that were scattered abroad when everywhere preaching the word. This is the group of believers there uh, in Jerusalem who when intense persecution came, they didn't just scatter and forget about what they're doing. Everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. And that's what we are to do. We are to uphold the truth and tell others about the truth. Now this week, I did a little research on human experimentation. Yes, sometimes I go there. I'm just, just, for a specific illustration, I don't recommend it. There's a lot of, there's some messed up stuff. I just got to tell you, there's some messed up stuff that has happened out there. That is for sure. And I want to share one of them with you. 1932 to 1972, there was an experiment that was done uh, called the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. It was a study that was done, uh, and it is a a terrible, terrible thing, that was done on 399 impoverished African-American sharecroppers in Tuskegee, Alabama, that city. And the study was done without their consent. In fact, the farmers that were involved in this 40-year study didn't know what was going on. They just knew that someone was coming and checking on them, and they thought they were being treated for this bacterial disease. Well, in fact, they were not being treated at all. All that was going on is that they would come in, and this is a, a, a picture of, uh, they would do this every, every, I don't know how often they would do it, um, but I think more than once a year, they'd come in, these same people, the same group of people, and they would, they would take their blood, and they would tell them, my understanding is that they would actually tell them they thought they were being treated, but in fact, they were not being treated at all. And the scientists were doing this because they wanted to study the effects on the body of this disease and the body and the mind. And so they monitored their, their progress, but they did nothing to stop the progression of the illness, even though, even back in 1932, penicillin was used, uh, several shots of penicillin would have stopped any, any effects at all, any adverse effects of that disease, or at least any short term. But they did not treat them, even though it caused, I mean, disability and, and all sorts of issues. Now, this study is called the most infamous, and not in a good way, biomedical research study in U.S. history. This crime that took place led to the 1979 Belmont Report. From there, it led to the establishment of the Office for Human Research Protections. Up until this point, apparently there were not really any protections. Um, It led to federal laws and regulations requiring review boards. It uh, involved the protection, of course, of human subjects and studies, and created a whole bunch of laws because of this terrible, terrible thing that happened. But what was going on, just to clarify here, is that there was... These doctors and nurses that had the ability to help these people, but they did not. They did not help them. 
Here's the application for us. You know, church, if we really believe that the Bible here is the answer for all things, if we truly believe that it is the cure for, uh, if it's the cure for someone's eternal life, if we believe it's the answer to true joy, if it's the cure for an unforgiving spirit, if it teaches us how to heal from suffering, how to repair our marriages, walk through trials, if it teaches us how to raise our children, to deal with conflict, if it teaches us how to forgive, if we really do believe that is the answer to uh, hate and anger, all of these terrible things that are in our world today, if we truly believe it, why do we so often as Christians withhold its truth from others simply because we're worried about what they might think about us? I'll guarantee you there were people that were a part of this study. I'm sure there were nurses and probably doctors that thought this is wrong, but nobody spoke up about it. 40 years this went on for, and nobody spoke up and protected these people. And so often that's how we are. We are so worried that someone might think of us as unintelligent or just a, you know, or just a weirdo or whatever it is that we're worried about. And so we refrain from sharing the truth. But I got to tell you, our insecurities, our own personal insecurities does not negate the fact that we as believers are still to share the truth of the word of God with other people. And when we refuse to do that, we are like those doctors who are refusing and withholding the cure and allowing people to suffer and to die. Many died through this, allowing them to suffer and die when you literally had the ability to save their life. You had the ability to show them that, hey, that's what those doctors, for us, that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Sometimes I feel like Christians are doing an experiment to see how bad the world can get without the truth. You ever feel like that? I feel like for too long, Christians have been standing back and be like, yep, I knew it was going to get this bad. And we stand back and we're like, yeah, if they only knew the truth and we observe it. But I got to tell you, just look around our world. Just look around our world. I think it's time for them to get the cure, don't you think? I think it's time. They need it. They need it. And we must commit to being a church that is, has a focus on evangelism that is willing to tell others about Jesus Christ. See, in a few weeks, we're going to start doing community outreach again on Wednesday nights, and I encourage you to come out and be a part of it. But this is one way that we can get out and just simply, very simply to say, hey, we're here for you. <laughs> we're Christians. If you're seeking God, would you come and hear the gospel? This is a way for us to get involved and to do that. And, uh, and I really think if we cease to be an evangelistic church, we are not fulfilling Christ's last command to us. And if we're going to really love what God loves, then we must be willing to tell others about the truth. Jesus loved the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We know that. Romans chapter 1, 16, though, puts it in perspective when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And so if we believe as Christians that the gospel that is contained in this word, that it is the power of God, then we must not withhold it. We must tell them. We must hold up the truth but we must be willing to tell the truth. But I got to tell you something. To be a church that holds up the truth and to be a church that tells others about the truth, those are good and very noble things, aren't they? But like anything in life, there's a danger that comes along with it. You say, well, what danger could there be in being a church that holds the truth? I'll tell you what the danger is. The danger is pride. The danger can be pride. Here's why. If you have an opinion or you begin to feel in your heart and in your life that you're the only person that has the truth, <laughs> that's pride. And it can creep into local churches. 
Where as a church, we kind of create this insider group where we're like, we're the only ones who have it figured out. <laughs> you know, Everyone else is an apostate. <laughs> it's a big word. <laughs> They're not getting it right. Everybody else has got it wrong. We're the only ones who have the truth. I gotta tell you what, church, that's pride, okay? I'm thankful that there are people all across the city that know the Lord, know the gospel, and share the gospel. They don't believe everything like I do. But if they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and a person needs to repent and turn from him, for him for salvation, I'm thankful for that. Now, from that point on, once a person is saved, I think they're, maybe they need to get some things straightened out, you know, uh, so that you are, are truly living as God desires for the Christian to live. But for us to say that we're the only ones who have it figured out, that's pride. And that's a danger that can creep inside of local churches. And I've seen it before. Uh, recently, I say recently, years ago, before we started the church, I was out and we were trying to raise some money and I was at a missions conference. And this, uh, this guy got up and he says, I'm so-and-so and I'm going to this certain city. And uh, he said this, this is what he said to a bunch of pastors. He said, and I'm just so excited to start this church because there is no gospel witness in my town, is what he said. So do you know what I did? I pulled out my smartphone. I was in the States, so I was on roaming data, but I still needed to look this up, you know. Some of you don't even know what roaming data is anymore. I mean, we used to be so fearful of it when we were, <laughs> and, and I punched in the name of his town, about 60,000 people. So that's the same size as our neighborhood. So the Hastings Sunrise neighborhood is about 60,000 people. So I just Googled church while he's talking, because he said, there's no gospel witness. Okay, there was like eight Baptist churches in the town. I think there's like 50 churches altogether. For 50,000 people, it's like 50 churches. And, uh, and this guy's like, there's no gospel witness, you know, <laughs> and so that's why I'm going here. Now, I understand maybe he was feeling pressure. He had to raise money or whatever. So I went to him after, and I said, listen, you're being dishonest about your representation of your town. There are people there that are preaching the gospel. And maybe I was just young, and maybe I shouldn't have done it. Maybe I was being prideful myself. Maybe that was what it was, you know. There you. Uh, but uh, whatever it was, I said, listen, like, don't. And now I was mad because I'm coming to Vancouver, right, a city of 700,000 people just in the city limits. And most of us can count on, you know, two hands, the amount of churches. And this guy was going to a place where there's eight other Baptist churches like him uh, and, and all this. And he's like, there's no gospel witness. And so I was a little upset. So give me some grace there. I think the Lord forgave me for it. <laughs> um, but you understand what I'm saying? He, in his mind, thought that he's the only one. That's prideful. We cannot fall into that. And that's a trap that we can fall into. So yes, we should hold up the truth. We should preach the word of God. We need to tell others the word of God, but we can't become this little insider group where we're just like, oh yeah, we're the only ones that have it figured out. Everybody else is just the worst. That's not true, okay? We need to pray for salvation. We need to pray for the gospel to go forth in our city. And it's, I want it to be done. I want a lot of it to be done through our church. And I believe that he will. And I know that God has, but there's also others. And I'm thankful for others that are out there preaching the gospel. And so we need to be aware of that. Not Don't have the attitude like, man, our church... It only has, you know, has it all figured out. We do not have a corner on the truth, okay? But we are to withhold, and uh, not withhold, sorry, <laughs> uphold the truth the best that we can. Lastly, though, today, we need to live the truth. So we need to hold it up. We need to be the pillar and ground. We need to tell others about the truth, but we also need to live the truth. Because you know what? Those first two are worthless unless you're willing and I'm willing to live the truth. Everything we work to preserve, everything we work to share with others will be spoiled and it will be cheapened if we are not living it out in biblical and grace-filled actions to our community. You ever have something that's like, you ever done something for somebody that you were really excited about? 
Like say you bought a gift for a family member and you're just like inside, you're just like, I cannot wait for them to open this. You know, and you're like, this is the best present ever. And you've been like saving money and selling stuff on Facebook Marketplace and you're doing all of this. I'm gonna buy this thing for this person. And you're just so excited. And uh, you know, you're just like, you can't wait. The day finally comes and you give them that present and they open it up and they go, oh, that's nice. Next present, you know, they get the next present. And you're just, have you ever had that happen to you? And you're just crushed. Don't, don't think of it as my wife. She loves every present I get her, right? Even if it's a bad present, which I found out later on. Anyway, she, uh, <laughs> she, she's great. But have you ever had that happen? Or maybe you've gone to like an expensive restaurant. You saved up for it. You know, it's an anniversary. It's a birthday. I'm going to spoil. I'm going to treat myself. You know, I'm going to buy a steak. And you go there and it's candlelit and it's just you and some friends or whatever. And then the table next to you brings their three-year-old you know? And, uh, and you're like, this is a nice restaurant, you know? And like the dad buys the kid like a $50 meal and you're just like, and they're like, just don't touch a bite of it. And you're, oh man, it's a bad example. I love kids, by the way. I've got lots of kids. You know that. I don't bring my kids to a nice restaurant. I'll just say that because they don't appreciate it, right? They don't appreciate it. The reason I tell you that is that uh, it cheapens it a little bit, okay? When people aren't appreciative or when there's just not that, and here's the thing with the gospel, with the truth, we can say all of the stuff that we want, but if we don't live it out, if, we don't, if it's not real to us, it cheapens the whole thing. The world has seen too many Christian leaders that live as hypocrites. That's what makes the news, right? The world has seen too many Christians who say they were Christians, but yet they don't back it up by the way they live. You know, I know people that will not come to church because their dad said, I'm a Christian, and then he went to church every day as a kid, but then at home, he was a drunk and abusive. And every Sunday, we go to church together as a family, and he'd smile and shake hands, and everything was good, and at home, he was not what he appeared to be. And it put a, 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 it put a barrier in that child's life, now adult's life, from hearing the gospel, because there was that disconnect there. And we must not be disconnected people when it comes to the gospel. We can't just say, yeah, our church knows the truth and you need to come to our church and you need to know the gospel. And then we live like the devil, right? We need to live out the truth and it needs to make a difference in our lives. You say, what is that difference that can be? Well, Matthew 22, Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophet. It's like a hanger that all the law and the prophets, everything hangs on those two things. Love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to boil it down as to how to live the truth, it's those two things. Love God above all else. I kind of put it into this phrase here. A Christian who wants to live their life as a testimony for Jesus will love God above all else and love others above themselves. That's what it all comes down to when it comes to living out the gospel. Willing to live out the truth. We could probably take a few minutes here and I could just say, all right, let's start in the front row. There's no one there. Let's start in the second row and let's go around. And all of you tell me a time that you said you were a Christian, but you didn't act like a Christian. <laughs> We'd be here all day, right? Telling story after story after story. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. We're still sinful beings. We still need that daily walk with God. And many of us have made great mistakes in our past and great sins in our past that thankfully through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed from and forgiven from. And he's already paid that penalty for us. And we can move forward from this point on living out the truth. But it has to start from within that I'm gonna live the truth forward. I'm gonna live it forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we're gonna stay with the theme of American illustrations today. When I think of uh, John F. Kennedy, man, they're all American today. I'm so sorry. No, I'm kidding. 
What a great thing. He said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Man, that rings true today, doesn't it? And I say that because Satan would rather you keep living a lie as a Christian. He would much rather you be a hypocritical, apathetic believer because Satan knows that if we live in that space as Christians, we can do far more damage than any temptation he could throw at an unbeliever. Christians, I think sometimes we think we make no difference, but our testimony is so important. It's so important. How we share Christ with others. And the the reason I feel that there is so much evil and so, I mean, there's a lot of reasons as to why that is, but I believe that for maybe a generation or more, Christians have not been standing up for the truth. We have not been standing up and doing the right thing. Yeah, I want us to realize this morning how important the truth is to what we're doing here at City Baptist. And honestly, we would do more harm, I think, than good for this community unless we are committed to holding the truth, sharing the truth, and living the truth. See, the truth matters, church. The truth matters. And what I want for us this morning is that we would commit as individuals Yes, as a church, we need to say, I want to go to a church where the truth matters, but a church is only as strong as its membership. A church is only as strong as those that make up the church. And so for us, I want to encourage you today, like let's have a commitment today that we are going to hold up the truth as a church, and that starts with me individually. So that's the commitment I'm asking for today. That's the application for each of us is that you would be a person and ask the Lord this and say, Lord, I would like to be, and help me, God, give me the strength to be the kind of Christian that tells others about the truth, that puts a priority on the truth, but also is willing to live out the truth. And I believe if we do that, we'll see the Lord bless in our church. I believe that as we're starting to open up again and beginning to do outreach, and I'm so excited about all of these opportunities that we have, that as we put a focus again and say, all right, now that we are gathered together again and we're putting a focus on God's church, that we're gonna be truthful people. And God's going to bless that. And God's going to allow us to have a greater impact than we ever could with any sort of cool campaign or whatever it is that we come up with. If we're people that live out the truth and hold up the truth, the truth is important. I wonder, have you bought into that? Have you personally bought into that? Have you bought into that purpose of the church? Have you made it your own, taken ownership of it? Okay, this is the purpose. And I want to be a part of it. I want to make this a part of my life as well. That's what God is asking us to do today. And that's my encouragement to you and exhortation to you, church families, that you would make it a part of your life today as well. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. And you can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver, uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. 
And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message from our new series, I Am. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.